Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome everyone to episode 44 of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Mr. Isaac Bennett, who is the founder of UR, a people brand, a brand holding company with four agencies underneath it with their own director. Each agency has a unique focus point. Home, wellness, abundance, and you are good. He previously served as vice president of sales for Morton Industries. He has an extensive background in international real estate, equity, and alternative assets investment, and has traveled to over 50 50 countries, having done business in over 100. He loves baseball, music, and spending time with his wife, Blake. So today we're going to be talking about alternative investments and real estate strategies, syndication, sales, and macroeconomics. So let's give Mr. Isaac Bennett a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. All right, so Isaac, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. It's really a pleasure, and it's nice to talk to you all the way on the other side of the world, Donald. Likewise, likewise. So um, your day going pretty good today? You know, I don't have any complaints at all. Like I was just telling you, I got to play with my one-year-old and three-year-old nephews, and for me, that's about the pinnacle. It's about as good as it gets. Yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, Isaac, why don't you um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and um, what you and your company does? Sure thing. My name is Isaac Bennett. Uh, I had a long career in sales leadership. My last W-2 job was as a vice president of sales for kind of a mid-sized uh, manufacturer here in Peoria. And um, I, after 16 years of that, I just felt like it was I was being called out of that into something new. So my wife and I started our brand, which is called you are that's the prefix for each of our businesses we have four businesses within that we have you are well you are home you are abundant and you are secure and i think the topic for tonight is probably you are abundant Mm, absolutely and so as far as you are abundant um i know you guys are doing alternative investment opportunities can you talk about some of the um different type of investments that you focus on yeah, we sure can. So I think with Abundant, we, um, we're equal opportunity. Um, up, you know, we, we're seeking for opportunity across a variety of asset classes. I think right now, one of the things that's interesting is that we're seeing cycles change really fast, where, where multifamily was maybe an outstanding opportunity three or four years ago, even that quickly, the cycle has changed and it's become very hot. And um, we, we feel like we have to be malleable, but we have quite a bit of experience analyzing uh, public equities. And so we feel very comfortable with that. And that allows us to look at a variety of variety of things. So we've made investments in oil and gas. We've made investments in mobile home parks. We've made several investments in international property resort investing. We think that has a really long tail here that could have tailwinds for a long time. Um, And a number of other things. We've got some exciting things that we're working on right now, actually in helping small businesses, medium-sized businesses grow and find the investors that they need. So all sorts of different things that we're working on, Donald. 
All right. And, and when you were approaching these different um, asset classes, what, what are some of the things or criteria that you want to see before you decide to um, move forward? Yeah, first and foremost, it's all about the operators for us. So um, we are looking for people that view investing the same way as we do. We're looking for people who think of assets as durable, um, lifetime type of assets. We're looking for people who view selling as an opportunity, not as a business strategy, not as, um, you know, it's an opportunity the market presents you, not as something you can actually put in a business plan. We're looking for uh, streams of future cash flow that are durable and uh, potentially growing in the future and capital efficient. So these are the types of things that we're looking for. And at the end of the day, it comes down to meeting operators who are world-class. They need to be absolute professionals at what they do, focused on what they do, a proven track record at what they do, of the utmost and highest integrity, and symbiotic thinkers. So those are just a few things. What we do is we've got uh, 24 different criteria for operators and 27 different deal criteria separate from the operator. And we have um, love to have, like to have, and need to have. And um, the operators need to check those boxes as well as the deals themselves. And where where do you meet most of your um, operators um, who you work with? Is that, do they reach out to you? Do you meet them networking? How do do you go about forming relationships with them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, We, we, you know, we've been investing in real estate for a long time and it's not, it's really not that much of a community, not that large of a community. And when you develop a certain reputation as kind of being a deal maker or somebody that can get products to market or somebody that can, help you with marketing or, you know, just general business sense, uh, someone that can put things together, people start coming to you. And so lately it's just been one after the next, after the next, after the next, the people coming to us by reputation more than anything. Um, I'm not a great networker, Donald. I don't, I'm actually an introvert. So um, networking is not really my thing, but I am connected to some really good networkers who do know our skill set that you are and know what we'd be good at. And these great networkers that I know who are good friends of mine, they're just putting deal after deal after deal in front of us. So I wish I could tell you there's a secret sauce, but more than anything, you, you kind of attract who you are, I think. Mm-hmm. And over time, when you've proven your, yourself and um, you're a high integrity person and you're out for the mutual good, you know, you're out for actually everybody in a deal, including the customers, the stakeholders, LPs, GPs, et cetera, everybody winning. That's our philosophy. And we're not willing to do a deal if we think anybody in any of those seats isn't gonna win. Okay, and it's interesting that you said you're an introvert because I think it's a lot of people out there in my industry and probably in in many industries who aren't who are introverts and not great networkers. So, what what kind of advice or yeah, what kind of advice would you give someone who's an introvert who's who needs to be out there talking to people about what they do and meeting people? How, how should they go about working that out? I'm curious. Are you an introvert, Donald? Uh, I would say I still am. I'm a lot less reclusive than I used to be. I worked on it, but yeah. I think still as a whole, I would kind of define myself as an introvert. Yeah. Well, you just said something there. That's, that's the, the basis of my answer. You worked on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, I know that to recharge, I need a good book and uh, some alone time. I need three or four hours alone in a, in a cool room to just sit there and maybe read a book, have a nice drink or something. Um, But at the same time, this is one of the biggest things that many people who are trying to make an impact in the world, who are trying to build a business, this is one of the biggest things that you have to overcome, especially if you're introverted, because you still have to pick up the phone. You have to put yourself out there. You have to get used to rejection. 
and you have to embrace it. So you have to embrace the idea that your introvertedness simply means that you can be more direct with people and that you can be a better listener. And I think introverts actually have a significant advantage because they're more inclined to listen. And I think in sales or marketing, that's a superpower. If you can ask Absolutely. great questions and be interested and listen, boy, you can, you can move mountains. And that's one thing I think extroverts struggle with is they have a tendency to get inside their own mind and do all the talking. And then you haven't really learned anything about your situation. So that's, I, I, I try to view my introverted nature now as a, a feature rather than a bug. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, if anything that anytime you want to improve in any area, you need to be able to, you need to get comfortable putting yourself in uncomfortable positions, right? So that's the main yeah, thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if you're introverted and you're not comfortable talking to people, get out there with events and start talking to people. I think so. And, you know, as a kid, I was I had so much stage fright. I, I was the one that, that <laughs> met the criterion of I would rather die, literally die, than get on stage and talk to people. Yeah. I couldn't even talk in a group, you know. And now I've done it so much in my career, it's absolutely nothing. But it took me years and hundreds of time on a stage at varying levels to get used to that. But it just shows you that you can train yourself to do things that you're not naturally wired to do. And you've got to lean into that fear. Not to be cliche, I'm not that type of person, but my goodness, you have to lean into fear and things that scare you. Absolutely. And I was the same way. I'd rather jump off of a building than get on stage and talk to people. But Really? Yeah. And now yeah. you're hosting a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it just takes <laughs> like it. constantly great. working on it. Yeah, absolutely. Good. That's great. So let's let's talk about um macroeconomics you and i were having a conversation before about um invested environments and some investments some investors being concerned about where interest rates were headed what would be your philosophy or perspective on that when when you're looking at making investments and you're looking at what it, where interest rates are headed yeah and this is if this is primarily a real estate audience i'm I'm gonna you may need to put your muffs on for a little bit to hear what I'm about to talk about. but if the majority of your investment is based on the interest rate or the spread with which you're buying your deal at, if you're buying at a six cap and your interest rate is a four and you're basing it on that two point spread, whether it's fixed or not, that's the wrong way to buy. okay, the right way to buy is to buy unstabilized assets that require ignoring that and thinking about unlevered yield, not levered yield. So if you're thinking about unlevered yield, guess what? The debt just disappeared from the picture and the debt becomes something that adds to the investment, not makes or breaks the investment. So um, debt, as we are currently established, is absolutely, absolutely a necessity towards financial success. However, it is not the determinant of a good or bad investment. So when we start looking at things like um, interest rates, dot plots, Fed meeting minutes, you know, every little jot and tittle that these people put out is analyzed these days. And for a long time, I was caught in this web of all this forward thinking stuff. And it created something in me called fear, along with other things. And I realized that that fear was causing me to be inactive when I should be active. I should be out there looking for great investment with a durable forward-looking series of cash flows, regardless, unlevered cash flows, regardless of the debt on the property or the project or the business. And, and that's ultimately what the answer here is, is you need to be thinking way more about the asset, about the business, 
about what needs it can meet in the market. Is it durable? Is it counter cyclical? Is it a necessity? Is it something growing? Is it a tailwind? All of these other things, far more than you're thinking about um, interest rates and where they might be going. Because the deal needs to work whether the interest rates are moving or not. And if you've got interest rate risk there, if you've got uh, floating debt or you've got all these other things and you're staying up at night because of, it's the wrong deal. It's the wrong deal. It's the wrong deal. Think about the asset. Think about the business you're working in. Think about your customers and how you can serve them and how you can grow profits and how it can be more capital efficient and how you can do all these things to make it better rather than thinking about the cost of the debt on it because you're focused on the wrong thing. That's how I think about these types of things. Perfect. Love it. Love it. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this clip and email it to all my investors. Thanks for that. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> so, Isaac, what, what kind of um, deals do you guys have going on right now? Anything very exciting that you're working on? Oh, man. You know what? Talking my own book, sometimes I feel a little bit too much like a salesperson because I spent my whole life in it. But I have some of the most exciting stuff going on right now that it's a little hard to even fathom. Just a couple of things that I'm working on. The first thing that I'm working on is I'm working on a post-frame parts business that we have, we brought an investor into. The post-frame building industry is interesting because it's blowing up, it's getting huge, and nobody's touched anything in it for 50 years. So there's all sorts of innovation that needs to happen. And I've met a brilliant designer who all he needed was some guys to make a pretty picture around his business and help him get products to market and bring one investor in, and we're ready to go. So I'm, I'm so excited to announce this business just in the next few short weeks, we're going to be launching this new business. That, that's one thing we're doing that's really awesome. Another thing that we're working on is we've met, I kid you not, we have met the greatest software designer I've ever met. I've ever met. And so much so that a CIO at Caterpillar said to me, he said, Isaac, I thought I was the best coder I'd ever met. And truly, I probably was. And then I met this guy and I realized I didn't hold a candle to him. Anyway, long story short, this new friend that I have, we're partnered in a venture that he's got and he designs and builds robots and robot infrastructure software. And he has asked us to come along and partner with him to help him um, grow a sales team, grow a marketing team, hire a C-suite. It's blowing up like crazy. Bring him the investment dollars he needs. So there's, there's actually an opportunity right now to invest in this company, which is incredibly rare and that 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 is right here in peoria illinois the hub of manufacturing of the whole world because of caterpillar which is where the headquarters used to be and now we're building robots here and it it, robot infrastructure and ecosystem and it's just really crazy that we're a part of it so that's a really fun deal um and then if you'll humor me one more i think we have absolutely six active deals right now yeah i think we have six active deals i'll just give you one more we're about to sign contract on about three acres of land in Belize on a canal in the ideal community to be in um, to develop our own boutique resort. So we're just going under contract for that today to get that launched. That's probably an 18 month project. But that's another opportunity we're gonna have for accredited investors in a 506D to raise the funds for that. That'll be a, a very low debt, high cash flowing, very durable uh, asset that checks all those boxes that we talked about before. And we're running that deal ourselves as the primary uh, operators. So um, again, you know, just Excellent. some really cool opportunities that we're working on. Yeah, sounds like it. And, um, and speaking of those robots and AI, and I know we hear a lot about um, that recently, I think as, ter- as far as um, technology, do you think AI is probably one of the most exciting industries to be in and where, where people want to be investing as far as where, where we're headed in the future? 
Yeah, and there's some people out there that are doing it really well. Um, I will tell you that I think there's a lot of mines of uh, pit, pitfalls in that industry. I think there's a lot of products or ideas that won't actually make it to market um, mm-hmm. because it's a technology that is moving at warp speed, which means a lot of things being developed will actually never make it to market because they'll be surpassed very quickly. Um, but when I really think about it, I, I'm, I'm looking for use cases that help people's everyday lives, help things like staffing issues. They help things like sanitation issues. And that's one thing that's so exciting about this company that we're partnered with is that they, they're already putting products into the market rapidly. Just in the last three or four months, they've grown rapidly. And so, you know, this isn't an idea. This is an application and it's happening. But I think what is being built is an ecosystem that um, many, many, many other uh, robotics companies will end up using, licensing and utilizing the software as well. So, you know, it might be a billion dollar company for robots, and I think it might be a $10 billion company for ecosystem and advertising. These are forward looking statements, Mm. of course, it's my own thoughts. But the opportunity (laughs) set is um, absolutely unicorn plus, plus, plus. Okay. Yeah, I think that that industry might be akin to the internet in the early 90s, right? It was so many companies coming out. But like you said, we want to look for companies and products that affect people's lives, their everyday lives. And I think that's where you'll find the true value. And look for, plat- look for yeah, you're right. And look for platforms, look for ecosystems and platforms that are durable and have other people that need to use them for a license fee. You know, find the tollways here. And I think that's what's being built. That's the company we're, we're, we're for because I think the hardware can be, it might come and go pretty quickly. You know, that, that industry changes so fast in all of our technology mm-hmm. and all of our lives. But look for the tollways, look for the picks and shovels plays and the ecosystems um, to really find the durable businesses long-term. Okay. All right, and um, mobile home parks, have you done many of those? Because I, I know a couple of people that have that operate those and they seem to be pretty durable irregardless of what's going on in the, in the economy. What's been your experience in, in, in those working in that industry or that asset class? Yeah. Yeah, so we've never operated one, but we're um, LPs in some mobile home parks. We've got some some partners that we really like in that space. And I will tell you that I think it is one of the most operator-dependent businesses. Uh, the right operator can make an incredible amount of money really fast, but keyword, the right operator. The operator we work with, he moves his family into these parks and lives and immerses himself in these communities and becomes a part of them and improves them to the point where he wants to live in them. And that's his barometer, his litmus test for whether or not it's the right investment is, can I move there with my family, improve the community for everyone living here and make this worth a lot more money? But I will tell you, Donald, that is not for everybody. In fact, it's not for me. I am mm-hmm. thrilled to be an LP in these types and, and take other investors into these types of investments, mm-hmm. but I'm not the right person to operate. This. And in general, we found that most things we shouldn't be the primary operators from. We should be the people that help you do due diligence. We should be the people that connect you with the right operator and, and look at it that way. And we're co-GP with many operators just like that because we know there are superstars out there operating and we're not superstar operators. Right. You know, And so we try to stay in our, in our zone of genius and just do that and do it really, really well. So I do, just to answer your question more directly, I do love the space. It's going to be with us forever. People need affordable housing. It's super durable. It's really, all it really is is a covered land play, right? You're buying mm-hmm. land, you're covering it with cash flow and it's a, it's a covered land play. So it's one of my favorite asset classes because of that. 
Um, it's just not for me to operate. It's something that I can help connect people, the right people in them, and we have opportunities there. But uh, yeah, that's that's really my experience in it. Yeah, so just a matter of knowing what your superpower is and staying with that, right? Yeah, you know, I think so. Um, it can be hard for people to find, but I would suggest that often you need to lean into things that scare you. You need to really push press into those things. And then you need to find the things that you do that other people compliment you on that you don't even know you're doing well. Because if you're doing things that people compliment you on that you, you don't even know you're doing well, it's very likely that you have a superpower in it. And it's just unconscious. Uh, you're just unconsciously competent in that area. And, and I've found that I only have like one or two of those, right? But when you do find them, you have to really hone it and really think about it and think about how you can wrap a business around that and pursue that because that's likely your zone of genius. Yeah, and I think one of the most important things you said is surrounding yourself with other people who compliment you. I think a lot of people get in the habit of doing everything themselves, but business and especially investing is a team sport. So you have to have a team around you that compliments you and helps you get things that you're not so, that you don't do so well that compliments your 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 skill set. Yeah, you're definitely right. And I've been very guilty of the, hey, I'm going to do everything myself um, sort of ideas. And it's something I've tried really hard to break myself up is trusting other people, hiring excellence around me whenever mm -hmm. you can. And I've made strides in that area, but I admit I have a long ways to go because I, I tend to still be a doer and just immediately get stuff done. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, gonna, you're going to govern yourself if you are trying to do it all yourself. You know, I mean, you need to have great accountant, uh, a great bookkeeper. You need to have legal counsel that knows exactly what's going on. Um, you, you know, try to find your zones of genius and stay within it. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I'm guilty of that as well. I think we all fall into that at one point or another where we want to get everything done ourselves. But yeah, if you're really looking to scale and grow, at, a pace, at least at the pace I want to do, you have to have a team to do it with you. You're not going to get it all done yourself. So I'm, I'm curious. <clears throat> tell me a little bit about your growth plans, Donald, and where, you're, where you guys are headed. I've been talking too much. So yeah, I have a couple of different businesses. So I mean, I own an insurance agency that I'm looking to scale as well. And of course, I, we also syndicate properties. And my, and my skills are set for this investor relations and raising capital. So I do okay. that. I won't say I do it awesome but i think i do a pretty decent job at it and i'm still working on it and working on myself and also starts with the insurance agency we're looking to scale that as well so we're looking to scale that through partnerships um networking and what we where we really want to grow it is on the commercial side so okay underwriting commercial buildings uh, apartment complexes mobile home parks that kind of that kind of um those kind of um deals so that's why we're looking to scale that but um, again, it's, 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 especially for the insurance agency, it's about getting the right people in there, getting the right sales agents, getting the right people who can service accounts. And um, even when I first bought this agency, I was trying to do everything myself. But you yeah. can imagine going back and forth from Tokyo to Austin is just not going to happen. So you have to have a great team in there. And right now, Stephen, it's just a challenging hiring environment also. So that even further makes it more challenging. So it's a work in progress. But yeah, I've come to realize if you really want to scale, you just have to have that team in place. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot going on and some really cool things happening. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So if um, I wanted to talk about one more thing on the macro side, looking at um, what's going on in 
in Western Europe? How, how is that affecting, if at all, how, how you're investing globally? Um, yeah, so I think, boy, that's a really deep question. And there are a lot of things happening here that are, uh, first of all, really unfortunate. And, um, you know, I, I feel for both the people of Ukraine and Russia, uh, the folks that are on the ground that are being ordered to do things of um, just absolutely heinous. And I think we all need to stand very strongly against these type of governmental actions. Um, when I think about it from an investing standpoint, I think about the security of the things that these company that these countries represent. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. Russia is a huge exporter of oil and natural gas. Everybody knows that. They're a huge exporter of silver. They're a huge exporter of some other uh, iron ore, of some other nickel, you know, some serious, serious commodities that we need. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. It's kind of interesting because I sit in Peoria, Illinois, which is the breadbasket of the world right here in central Illinois and, and the surrounding Midwest. And Ukraine is very much like that for Europe. So I start looking at these things and I think the primary motivations are not necessarily land grab or anything else. The primary motivation has to do with trading these commodities, specifically in rubles, you know, to try and, and really uh, put so much more value and control over their currency. So uh, I view this as an existential threat to food security. And I think we have major problems there in fertilizer and food production. And I think that we have probably a decade or more of significant issues in the price of land, farmland specifically, food price, fertilizer prices, and a select number of commodities that come out of these precious metal commodities that come out of these countries as well. So I think when you start looking at things like farm ground, um, you could see uh, rents on farm ground skyrocket. Think triple or quadruple in the next five or 10 years, the rent. What does that do to the price of that ground? Well, it does something. We actually have a project um, that is uh, we, we've got in our pipeline that is working on a farm ground fund. Um, I think that silver might be a last bastion of wealth preservation for people. Gold, of course, as well. But I think silver has quite a lot of upside. You know, you watched mm. the nickel market absolutely explode. And silver has not done that yet. It's had a nice little run. But it wouldn't surprise me to see, so this is a prediction, so just throw this out immediately. It says more about me than it does about anything that might happen. Mm. But I wouldn't be surprised to see silver be in the 200s five or 10 years from now, not the 20s. So I think there's a, a 10x that's going to happen there, absolutely. And I'm not like a gold bug. I like precious metals. I like real mm. money, real assets. But silver is an area where if massive food inflation does happen, if food scarcity, food security does become a major issue. If land skyrockets, silver might be one of the only ways to protect yourself. That is not to cause fear in a, anybody. I'm not a fearful person and I'm never going to sell fear. But, but you should have a significant portion of your wealth in precious metals. And right now, one of the things I like best is actually precious metals miners. Their balance sheets are in great shape, the best ones. They are making money hand over fist. And they are one of the only uh, sort of industries that could see significant windfall profits from some of the scary things that are going on out there in the world right now. 
Yeah, and I didn't know Russia was a major exporter of silver. So, I mean, like you said, with all the supply supply chain issues, I mean, silver is used in so many different things, car manufacturing, uh, computer chips. So, yeah, I could definitely see that as well. You're actually definitely right about that. Yeah, I mean, Russia is a major miner of basically, basically everything. So they, they pull a lot of stuff out of the ground and create a lot of stuff. Um, everything is either grown or mined, and they do a lot of the mining. And Ukraine does a lot of growing. And so between the two of them, you've got just this interesting sort of amalgamation of potential problems. And nobody should think about these things by being fearful. Don't fear it. Just prepare. You know, prepare. Okay. And, I, and um, Isaac, I also see here you've, uh, you've traveled to over 50 countries, having done business in over 100. What's, your, what's a couple of your favorite to travel and do business in outside of the U.S.? Russia and Ukraine. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of really fun times in both of those places. Wonderful people in both countries. Wonderful people which um, leads to some of my angst about what's going on here for their not-so-wonderful leadership. Um, but uh, I absolutely love Russia, Ukraine, the Balkans. I love Scandinavia. I've had, had a lot of nice times in Japan and Thailand and Indonesia, Australia. Um, certainly South America is fun. The food people there are wonderful. I think I just named most of the continents there. So <laughs> I've, had, I've had good times pretty much everywhere, even in Mongolia and Kyrgyzstan and places like that. I've had some good times. Okay, awesome. All right, so um, before we hop off, why don't we jump into the lightning round and see what's um, what makes you tick behind the scenes here. All right, let's do it. So Isaac, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Every book combined pales in comparison to how the Bible is influenced by life. I read the Proverbs wow. every single day. Every single day. Every single day I read the Proverbs. And if it's taught me anything, it's that even a fool, when he keeps his mouth shut, can be considered wise. And let me tell you, it's worked for me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and you, read, you say you read the Bible daily? Every single day. Every single day. Yep. Okay. And if, yeah, I've never, I mean, I read a lot of books. I probably read three books a month. I've never sat down and read the Bible from cover to cover. So I was actually thinking about doing this year, this year and wondering how long that would take. I'm not how many pages is in the Bible? Have you ever read it cover uh, to cover? Yeah, many times. Yeah, it depends on, on what you're reading, but it doesn't take you that long. It's really about 72 hours of reading. Okay, so okay. you're talking, if you read an hour a day, it'll take you about three months, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you read half an hour a day, do it in six months. It'd be really easy. And there's some great resources out there on, um, you know, maybe how to read it because cover to cover, it's not a chronological book and there are ways that you can read it that is a little bit more chronological. Um, but, you know, the Proverbs are a great place to start because there's 31 chapters. You can read one a day and they're, they're not very, 10 minutes, you know, but man, I find something new. I've been doing this every day for 20 years or 15, I don't know how long, a long time. And I find something new in the Proverbs every single day, Donald. It's crazy. Okay, very cool. All right. And how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Yeah, this is a super complicated question. And I thank you for asking it because it's an opportunity for me to talk about failure. And my life has been um, marked by extreme failure, not just in, um, in, in a business investment or anything like that, but I, I had a major relationship failure in my life. And 
I, I was to the point where I was so depressed, Donald, that I was suicidal for nearly 20 years, all the way from my teenage days. I was an addict, a severe addict and de a, a depressive and suicidal. And it, lo very long story short, in 2018, I came out and confessed many things to my wife, a whole lot of problems, whole lot of problems. And I expected her to leave me. I was certain she would leave me. And that was the basis of why I was suicidal is I thought, it's either suicide or confession. And yeah. by the grace of God, I did get to confession. And I tell this story somewhat often. I did get to confession, but I expected my wife to leave me. Instead of leaving me, she jumped out of her chair and hugged me. And that was grace. I found out what grace was on that day in 2018. And that was an existential failure on my part over decades. But I will tell you that I've been able to tell this story to so many men who are struggling with some of the things that I struggled with. And Hopefully, I've been able to impact them in turning their life around and in some cases, confessing things that they needed to confess and, and releasing that burden and those chains that they needed to release in their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say this to a lot of people. If there's anybody out there that needs to talk about things or maybe confess some secret things that are in their life that are burdening them, call me because I'll talk to you about it. I will help you get to that point of doing that. And since that day, you know, Donald, I found freedom. I found freedom in my, my faith. I found freedom in my business, in my life. And it's not easy. It's been the hardest three years of my life after that. But by far the most rewarding as well. And um, the impact has been so much greater after those days. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's really telling because I think, yeah, a lot of us have so, so many things in our past that we're ashamed of and we think, oh, yeah. If anybody knew this, uh, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I mean, your wife, your investors, your coworkers, your colleagues, anybody. And I think that's probably the best medicine, right? Confession. I mean, it just takes well, so much, so much, so much of a load off. I, you, you, Donald, you're so right, and I will tell you that the thing that kept me from doing it for so long is I, I used that exact same thought pattern. If they knew this, they would fill in the blank X Y Z whatever whatever that fear was. I actually believed that I would never be able to see my nieces and nephews again, which was totally irrational. I had nothing to do with them, but I had led myself to believe that lie. And, you know, the, the idea of performing gets in the way of telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And the reality is if an investor is going to come to you and say, you told the truth and it puts you in a bad light. I don't want to invest with you. They're the wrong investor. Yeah, absolutely. Because an investor should come to you when you say, here's a weakness. Here's a flaw. Here's a failure. This has been a failure in my life. That's humility. Hmm. And if you can do that, an investor can come and say, no matter what happens, they're going to tell me the truth. Yeah. Investors should look for that in a GP and GPs should look for investors who want the truth, the hard, sometimes really uncomfortable truth. But man, if we could all pick up the mantra of saying we're not going to perform, <laughs> we're going to tell the truth with honesty, with integrity, man, I think we could all move mountains. Yeah. And I think the other important thing about that confession is it takes the power away from other people who want to hold that shame over your head. Cause you know, there are certain people who will say, you know, I'll tell this person this or I'll but it takes that power away from them. Right. Cause once you confess oh. it, they, they don't hold that power over your head anymore. And it's no, nothing they can you're do. Hitting it, yeah. You're hitting it exactly on the head. 
Yeah. When you when you come out and you say, here's my greatest failure, and here's two or three of my second greatest failures, you got nothing else to lose. Yeah. You have nothing else to lose. Somebody can go, somebody could go tell the most salacious rumor of the world about me right now. And I'm okay, here's my testimony I gave. You can go read about it right here. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it changes it changes everything because it eliminates fear of being found out. It eliminates imposter syndrome from running your life because mm. You've admitted, you've admitted that you are an imposter. You've admitted that you are a fraud. And then you can live authentically and holy and free. And when you do that, your life really changes and your mindset really changes. It does. It does. Awesome stuff. All right. So, um, Isaac, if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Uh, I think it would probably, yeah, anywhere. Hmm. I don't know how to answer. I've been a lot of places, but I think it would just tell people about the necessity of grace mm. and that grace, if they can find grace and what that means and why forgiveness is so important, that's all you need in your life. That's all you need. So I would paint it in the sky where everybody could see it every day. And um, it would just tell them that they are loved and it would tell them that grace is sufficient for them and that, uh, you know, their failure is not too big. Awesome. Awesome. And Isaac, do you have, is there a habit or routine that you love? Yeah, I've already talked about it. I mean, I think um, daily, you know, it's, it's prayer and, and Bible reading every morning that uh, mm. it always it always adjusts me and gets my mind back in the right spot. And I really struggle mentally. You know, I've already said that I was a depressive and, and getting my mind in the right spot is absolutely critical. So I have a daily routine of prayer and, and uh, reading the Bible every day. I also am relatively consistent uh, working out. I like to lift weights. Mm. I hate running. I try to do it, but <laughs> I, love to, I love to lift weights. I love sports. So I'm, I'm trying to be active whenever I can. Those are the, the habits that really help my mental and psychological health and get my mind right. So um, I'm also an avid reader. So I, I, one time I was trying to read three or four hours a day and I got probably to a point where I was reading too much and realized I needed to go talk to people. Yeah. That's a <laughs> so, lot. Yeah. I still, I still probably read, you know, 90 minutes a day or something, but nothing crazy like it used to be. Uh, so I, I would say those are my, my main habits. Okay. And, and what have you become better at saying no to? Uh, smaller deals. I think, you know, it's very tempting to go uh, stay doing, um, deals and maybe even relationships that hold you back or that limit you or see you in a certain light or a certain period of time. You know, they say nobody's loved in their own hometown or nobody's successful in their own hometown. Well, I still live right in my own hometown. That's part of why I've had to branch out so much. It's like you kind of get pigeonholed into one little area. So mm. I, I've had to say, um, I've had to put a limit on maybe some, uh, some relationships or some partnerships that that are hard. And, and I think smaller deals, it's really tempting to pound those out and just like think really small, but mm. man, these days I'm going, I've got to find a deal that scares me. I've got to find a partner that's going to push me to do more. I've got to find somebody that says, Isaac, where's that deal you promised me? Mm. I'm, I'm leaning into those things. I'm looking for those things. And I know that I can't be over here piddling with duplexes or, you know, small, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Everybody's in their own, own phase, but it's got to, it's got to excite me. and It's got to challenge me. 
Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting what you say about you know the larger deals because I I found that more often than not it takes longer to do the smaller deals than it does the larger deals. I mean, I know somebody who's been trying to close a deal on a eighty thousand dollar house for four months. Yeah. So I say, I mean, you can get you can get. I mean, we've closed two hundred unit apartment deals in half that time. So yeah, like you said, I mean, you can. I mean, you look at those deals and say, wow, this deal is big, but. It's just as hard to do the smaller ones. So why not do the larger ones? I think that's true. And just as an add-on to that, I would tell you that what you need to do larger deals generally is you need credibility. Okay, so it makes sense to build your deal size to the point where investors look at you and think, this is an appropriately sized deal. This is position sized well in their portfolio. Whether or not those are the words they used to think about them, that is the type of mental gymnastics they need to be doing to make sure you have the credibility to do this deal. So I, I tell mm. people position size this according to your credibility, but don't underrate yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not your ability. It's your credibility. So if you have the credibility to go to a hundred, a hundred unit deal, a thousand unit deal, go do it. Don't waste the time. If you have the credibility to do a fourplex and you can't raise the money or you don't have the connections, you don't have the know-how to do anything more than that then don't try to do something larger. You've got to challenge yourself while staying within your logical credibility. Okay, okay, good stuff. All right, and last question, I think this one goes kind of deep as well, but what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Important truth, few people, that's a good question. Very few people agree with me on. I think it's probably something around selling mm-hmm. because I don't think, you know, I, I run in a lot of circles with people that invest. They're not investors. They're mm-hmm. not. They're speculators. They're business operators. They understand how to, they're financial manipulators. They are uh, strategists. They're many things, but they're not investors. I hope that we are the definition of an investor because we're looking for assets that we ideally never sell and that that discounted stream of cash flows that we're looking at today can grow over time faster than the expenses can grow. And selling becomes a market opportunity of where someone is willing to do something very irrational to buy from you. Other than that, you know, it's, it's, it's really not a business plan to sell something because I don't think the wealthiest people even, they don't even, they take it a step further than I do. I talk about cash flows in the future. The wealthiest people, they don't invest for cash flow. They invest for durability. They invest for longevity. Mm-hmm. They invest for, invest for tax advantages. They invest that whatever they have, they can carry with them or will still be there after a war. Mm-hmm. That's how the wealthiest people in the world think. But what you don't hear there is selling. What you don't hear there is interest rate. What you don't hear there is financial engineering. What you hear is durability. Uh, um, Durability across uh, various cycles, anti-fragility. You hear all these other things. And so I I think that's probably the area that I, I think most differently than most people is that I'm not looking to take investors out. I'm not looking to... Uh, necessarily sell something to capture or promote. 
if, if you're investing with a GP that is looking to capture promote as part of their business plan, wrong, mm-hmm. wrong. They need to be thinking about maximizing the value of the assets and the businesses with which they hold. Awesome. I love that. That's one of the best answers I've heard to that question. Awesome. <laughs> Good. I hadn't thought about it. Sometimes I'm glad <laughs> I could come up with something. <laughs> All right, Isaac. So um, before we hop off, if anybody wants to get in touch with you or collaborate with you in any way, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, you know what? You can feel free to put my phone number in the show notes. I will I, uh, just throw it in there. I won't put it on here. But they can also go to our, our website, which is a people brand. That's our tagline, a people brand forward slash investor. Just throw your information in there. I'd be happy to follow up with you. I'm also somewhat active on Twitter, Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, Bennett. So Isaac C. Bennett on Twitter. Um, reach out anytime. I'm easy to get a hold of. All my information is out there. So don't be shy. Say hi. Let's have a conversation. Tell me why I'm an idiot. What I said was wrong. <laughs> Everything else. Is, I welcome it all. It should be fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Isaac. So yeah, it was great having you on the show. This was an awesome conversation. I'm sure offered great value to the listeners. So again, thanks so much for coming on. And um, I look forward to seeing you again soon. I'd love to talk again, Donald. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Bye-bye now. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, Head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.